and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 6, Chapter 2, The Land of Shadow, discussing imagination and community. And perfect inflection, so I know exactly what you're talking about without any additional context. <laughs> I know when we picked this theme, I was like, and Spongebob. Yes. <laughs> so the thing that I loved about this chapter, Anna, is that we get a little bit of a disguise moment with Frodo and Sam. Love a costume. <laughs> yeah, we love a costume. We love a person in disguise. And I wonder what your favorite on-screen disguise slash mistaken identity, you know, either Mm. hilarious or totally believable in movies. And I have a list that I prepared for this, but I'm I'm curious to hear if you have any that pop up. I feel like as a aficionado of early aughts Mm rom-coms, those that jump to mind first are the hilariously bad... A Cinderella story featuring Hilary Duff. Yep, that's mm-hmm. on my list. Um, <laughs> where she wears one mask one time and Austin Ames cannot distinguish mm-hmm. her in the crowd in their high school later. And it just covers like a quarter of an inch Correct. around her eyes. Correct. <laughs> Voice sounds exactly the same. Who is she? He was not, he was, he did not use a lot of deductive reasoning skills. Mm hmm. Uh, Perhaps a favorite, although maybe equally bad, is Amanda Bynes as her brother Sebastian in no, She's the I Man. No, I had that in my good category. I think that's I think a it's good one. Hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's very charming. Uh-huh. <laughs> and adding one soul patch and then a little bit of darkening of her eyebrows, it does not a 6'2 broad-shouldered, like, high school aged man make but we love the montage of her trying to learn how to walk like a guy fully endeared Mm -hmm. fully endeared by that scene um and truly still one of my very favorite it's a great movie (laughs) Mm rom-coms of all time okay so now i'm curious because those two jumped to my mind first and they're on your list what else is on your list? Um, in the good category, I have the Charlie's Angels with Lucy Liu and Cameron Diaz. Mm. They do so many good disguises in that. Disguises yes. left and right. Mm-hmm. We have the the classic, the best disguise of them all, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's incredible. That's incredible. And then I threw in two animated disguises. Mm. Aladdin, which I think is hilarious because, again, he's just changed his outfit. And she's like, I've never met this man in my life. <laughs> right. Like, right. I've you. gone from a bare-chested vest yeah. to one shirt, and now I'm unrecognizable. Yeah. I'm like, you're just Although we do have genie magic at play, so clothing. I don't know if that's an element to that as well. And then I think a good one that's animated is Mulan. Mm, yes. I'm like, I buy it. Perhaps one of my favorite montages of getting into character. Yes. It's so intense. It's so 90s. I love everything about it. Yeah. So th- that was my list. I was like, wow, I like a lot of movies with costumes and disguises. <laughs> well, as we were discussing, you are a recovering theater kid yeah. and there's very little else to be expected. <laughs> change, quick change. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will say I have fallen down many uh, social media rabbit hole in watching ballet and stage quick changes. Yes. 
where because the the engineering of the outfit is so amazing, amazing to me. So being able to and and I will tell you that one of my first like stage performance memories mm-hmm. is going with maybe mom and grandma or maybe it was with you and dad. No, I think I'm it was mom to remember and grandma. Nutcracker Cinderella. Yeah. So but there was a, I think it was in the Nutcracker where Clara, my protagonist of all time that made me want to be a ballerina before I realized I had to be on stage to do that, was changing from like one, um, like her kind of like nightgown entry outfit to mm-hmm. something that's a little bit more fancy, I think. Either that or, or it was a Cinderella um, on, on stage mm-hmm. as ballet. And it was the, like I, my mind was blown as a child to be like they what? were gone for five seconds mm-hmm. how is she in an entirely different outfit and so now i do have i've watched enough now where it does regularly show up in some of my social media feeds and i love or it. in center stage when she like twirls into the other outfit <gasps> <gasps> yes <laughs> Sorry, that was so dramatic Yes, yes. And as you know, I have harangued so many people to watch Center Stage. It's I mean, the movie is okay. Let's like let, let's not overstate it as a as a movie itself, but the dancing is delightful no, and good. that is amazing. Um still amazing to me. Yes. Thank you for knowing that I was going to talk about that next. <laughs> well, I was like, when I think of ballet, I, of course, think of center stage. Stage. Because right. I am an uncultured child of the 90s. And I'm like, oh, remember mm-hmm. that movie from the early aughts? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Movies. And it's, I mean, some of it's very good. Some of it is also ridiculous. All of it is emblazoned onto my heart. Mm-hmm. So... So that's what we got. Unfortunately, Frodo and Sam do no twirling in this episode. All of their changes are slow. There's not Mm -hmm. a quick change to be had, but they do have a a very successful moment of disguise that we'll talk about later. Before we can do that, we have to hear your story about imagination. So please, Mm -hmm. please, Anna, take it away. The floor is all yours. Thank you. I believe I've told elements of this story before, and I cannot recall, so if this is a repeat, my apologies, listeners. But today we're going to talk about an event that I was associated with that we needed to do some imagining, some reimagining. So I was a co-advisor to a group of university students who were all either international or internationally minded, I guess. So, I mean, it was a it was an affinity group, so you didn't necessarily have to be an international student to be part. But this club had existed for almost 50 years at the time that I was joining as a co-advisor, and every year they had hosted a major event in the spring. So there were performances, there was often a meal of different cultural food and then there was usually some sort of like silent auction in the back and it raised a lot of money and allowed it uh, allowed the group to do quite a bit of events throughout the remainder of the year. The challenge was that in its inception it was probably or in its conception I should say it was probably pretty ahead of its time 
And as it continued to occur, right, it really became clear that it was quite a passive way for these two communities to spend time together, right? Often folks from the larger community and from the larger student body were participants in the event. They would watch the performances, they would eat the meal, they would maybe bid on something at the silent auction, and then they would go home, right? And then our international students or um, those that were in the club, their friends, were often the performers. Sometimes they were the servers for the event. So there was very little connection, very little communication between those groups for the way that the event was designed. About the time that I came to be co-advisor, there was a discussion around just generally student groups were receiving budget cuts, and so we needed to kind of reconfigure how the event would happen, while also taking a closer look at the purpose of the event and whether what had been occurring, right, was really living into that purpose. So we started to started to brainstorm a couple of things. One was, what were the skills in the room and what did those skills allow us to do? And then based on what the students in the room really enjoyed about the event, and as well as the purpose of the group more broadly, how might we redo this, this event at a slightly lower cost while also creating connection? And so we started to look at more of a less of a performance-based structure and a little bit more interaction. So is there a way to mix up groups when they came to sit and eat? Was there a way to do a little bit more of an informational featured, uh, featured speaker, featured event, have more of a conversation that way? Was there a way to build in smaller stages where there could be some interaction between the person who is performing, almost like a Lollapalooza of cultural events. I mean, we really were brainstorming to the extent that we could, right? (laughs) And it was fun because these were students who were receiving permission to do something differently. And because of budget cuts, right, we felt we had enough sort of enough of a catalyst to shift something that was a bit of a fixture in the community, right? We had a reason to say, here's why we're changing up what we're doing. And so this was a big reimagining. Again, this this group had existed for a long time. There was a lot of tradition to really contend with. And some of the toughest stakeholders really to get on board ended up being students who were on campus but who weren't a part of the board making these decisions. I remember we hosted a lot of what seemed like open meetings for the board discussing what we were planning to do and having really pretty intense conversations with those other students who were upset that we were changing what was happening, who really felt like they didn't understand why we needed to reimagine this event. And so there were a lot of conversations where we had to kind of try and bring people along and say, but, you know, let's come back to the purpose of the club, the purpose of the event. Let's come back to what budget we have available, right? Like all of these things mean that we need to sort of redesign as a community, how we want to engage folks and the larger community and, and the larger student body. So we felt like we had a pretty good plan. Ultimately, right, it ended up being in the year 2020. <laughs> and so none of this actually happened. Womp, womp. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> none of this actually happened. And so that was a little bit of a disappointment. But we had engaged an outside vendor for food. We had done a little bit more 
so that it could be there was more opportunity for there to be conversation. And I was really excited about it. The board was really proud of what they had put together. And unfortunately, the environment was just such that we we couldn't have an event. But I learned quite a bit about how much imagination it takes to really interact and change something that feels like a tradition, right? While still trying to preserve what people care about and what is meaningful while also being a bit more creative. So there was a lot of imagining that was happening, um, which was fun, but also it's a lot more energy. (laughs) It's a lot more energy. This is making me think of, yeah, when you have to reimagine traditions, like weddings Mm -hmm. are, you know, historically pretty traditional. And you need to find a little bit of imagination there. If you're not going to get married where your family thinks you're going to get married or, you know, if if you're not fitting into the structures that are traditionally there, you got to be imaginative to to come out and find what's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And I am impressed that you guys were able to come up with a cohesive plan, especially with a large group of people all trying to do that imagining, which sometimes has its strength and sometimes has its weaknesses. Yes, it was not without its not without its challenges. I think, you know, the the thing that really seemed to to help one was to my role really as the co-advisor was to continually bring us back to what are we trying to do, right? What's the purpose of the event? Does that align with our purpose so that we could start to sort of scope in what we were imagining? Well, thank you for for bringing us that story about how we're going to be imaginative in in a community. I struggle with sometimes the like throw anything on the wall and see what sticks brainstorming aspect of things Mm -hmm. because I'm like but in the end I know I'm gonna be the one who has to (laughs) execute this so no we're not gonna bring an ice cream truck up to the 20th floor of this building (laughs) for an ice cream activation (laughs) love the enthusiasm but no (laughs) so it's fun to you know stop thinking about how things have to be executed and just be a little imaginative. I think that is an interesting segue into a (laughs) land of less fun imagination, perhaps. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. There's a little less, we're throwing an event and people are going to have yummy snacks and it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more dire. So will you walk us through (sighs) the costume changes and events of this chapter? Yes, I will. It's a lot of trudging. Yes. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we, we pick up exactly where we were from the last one. Full action. Frodo and Sam are running away from the Nazgul that has swooped down to the Kirith Ungol Tower. And they, to escape, jump off a cliff. But they land in a thorn bush. So not, not our favorite landing. And then we struggle and we trudge and we're walking and it's hot and we're thirsty. We rest. We trudge again. The next plot point is that Sam sees that the clouds are starting to thin and there's a little bit of light that comes through, which gives him hope because he had wished for it. So he's like, Mr. Frodo, isn't that great? And Frodo's like, nah, I don't really care. (laughs) Hope for you. No hope for me. Then they keep going. They keep trudging. We're resting. We're trudging. We're resting. We get some water. We're looking out over the armies of all of the armies of Mordor and trying to figure out how we can keep going. We keep walking. Lots and lots of walking. (laughs) At the next point, they're hiding and two orcs 
who are tracking them come by. They don't see Sam and Frodo, but Sam and Frodo get to overhear news of basically how closely they're being watched and the fact that Gollum is also following them through Mordor. And we keep going. We're continuing. We're trudging. We're resting. Sam catches a glimpse of Gollum while Frodo's sleeping and Sam's out refilling their water bottle. And then they keep going. We're trudging. They get out onto the road and they are, this is our costume moment, discovered by a group of orcs who mistake them for other orcs. So I love the the detail of Sam covers their hairy hobbit feet with their shields. And so the orcs come up. They think they're trying to desert from another orc company and they make Sam and Frodo run run along with them uh, in this band going to the main city in Mordor. At some point while they're running with this band, they come to a crossroads where there are a bunch of other orcs. And in this confusion and sort of the scrum of all of these different companies merging together into one main road, Frodo and Sam are able to drop down, crawl away, crawl into a pit and lay down. And that's it. There was there was a fair amount of trudging and Frodo is just the grumpiest lack of hope little bean that you could ever imagine and i i'm just so thankful that sam is able to stay focused on what we're trying to get done because frodo is Mm -hmm. he would just wander aimlessly otherwise just mad and i was really confused at how much time had passed Mm -hmm. because i'm like we're not we're no longer just like walking during the day sleeping at night or vice versa it just feels like kind of an endless push forward of struggle, rest, walk, rest. Mm-hmm. So I was able to look up on like TolkienGateway.com or something. And from the, the time they leave the tower to the time they get to Mount Doom, which is not in this chapter, it's 10 days. So they spend oh. 10 days in Mordor. Okay. Because the distances that Sam is also attempting to calculate are bananas he's like oh like another 50 miles yes thank you that's what i thought i did not i wasn't sure if that was an accurate assessment or if it's another element of the hopelessness of the landscape that it appears Mm -hmm. much further than it is because that was that also played into the time they spend 10 days trying to get there yeah yes that's quite a bit and there are no roads so they're just kind of stumbling across or there's like very few roads and the roads are very risky. And they don't want to be on the roads because the orcs are on the roads. So it's just like them and what I imagine like moon craters trying to skedaddle yes. their way across Mordor. Mm-hmm. That's ex- Yep, that's what we did for a full chapter. For a full, there was a lot of trudging. There's a lot of trudging. And I can't wait to see where you found some examples of imagination in this one. Uh-huh. There were some. Uh, oh, there were not all right. many. Okay. So buckle up. All right. So on my page 236, which is the very first page of the chapter, Frodo is talking to Sam. And he says, quote, this won't do, Sam, said Frodo. If we were real orcs, we ought to be dashing back to the tower, not running away. So he's imagining a little bit what it would what they should look like if they were real orcs and mm-hmm. sam's responses but we can't not without wings which also seems to be like a little bit of a 
an imagination of, gee, that would really make this easier. (laughs) And also, I know it's in the prior chapter, but how clever for Sam to be like, you know what we should do while we're here in this very stressful tower that I would be like sweating, panicking. We have to exit now. We're going to be trapped and discovered in here. He's like, let's get some disguises Mm -hmm. while we're here. Let's just, you know, do a little shopping, find something that fits. And we're going to disguise our way. I think that's very imaginative. It is very imaginative. I'd also say that necessity is the mother of invention. And so the fact that Frodo has not a scrap of clothing on him. Nude as the day <laughs> he was born. Right. That probably um, probably created some urgency around that, that situation. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Then on page 238. My 238. They are sort of scrambling through Mordor, and they're trying to find their way, quote, both were sweating. If Shagrat himself was to offer me a glass of water, I'd shake his hand, said Sam. So I just, I thought it was a, it was a charming little moment for Sam to make kind of a joke in the middle of what was otherwise pretty terrible and a lot of trudging. Mm-hmm. And you know who's not in the mood for that joke? Frodo. <laughs> Frodo. <laughs> Frodo. Don't who, even talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frodo, who is absolutely like me mm-hmm. jet lagged anytime I yes. go anywhere. Just absolutely no sense of humor at all. Don't say such things. It only makes it worse. <laughs> I mean, like, I know that Frodo is carrying an unbelievable burden and yeah. that he is in the heart of evil. And I imagine a lot of his dialogue in this chapter is very um, teenager on a family trip. <laughs> yes. God. Sulking our way. Ruining my mm-hmm. life. Don't say it. Thirsty. Don't talk about it. <laughs> okay. Then on page 239, it's really sort of the last time I saw some imagination. And it's Sam talking to Frodo. And mm-hmm. he says... Because they're talking about water. If only the lady could see us or hear us, I'd say to her, your ladyship, all we want is light and water, just clean water and plain daylight, better than any jewels, begging your pardon. So he's sort of imagining if he could make basically one wish of someone that he views as exceptionally powerful, what would it be? Mm. Mm-hmm. And she does this for them? Or it's a coincidence. Unclear. I guess it's a coincidence. Right. I don't know. Because <laughs> she doesn't She doesn't have anything to do with the killing of the Witch King. And that's why the clouds start to go away. Right. But in the movie, they do make it very explicit. I think they, like, show Galadriel, like, reaching down from a distance and, like, offering a hand to Sam of, like, no, Sam, keep going. And like a ghost. I always thought that was a vision brought on by hallucination and lack of water. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just the fact that he's imagining that the lady is looking out for him, that that's, that's all we need. And it's sort of irrelevant. Right. You know, just because it's in your head. Who says it's not real? Who says it's not real, says Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. But I think, and then there's sort of a, a follow-up to that original quote where Sam finds water and says, if I ever see the lady again, I will tell her. So I think there's sort of a 
the imagining is much more limited to their exact surroundings, which makes sense, right? Because they are in mortal peril every time that we're checking in with them. And so these imaginings mm-hmm. really seem to be a departure from their own reality and also are, at least for Sam, pretty important to staying focused and not being entirely mired in the seeming impossibility of their task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not fully fully in the present, I think, in the way that Frodo is sort of tied to. Mm-hmm. And I was doing just a skosh of research to try and understand, like, are there different types of imagination? And that was something that I had come across is some of the value of imagination is is sometimes being able to separate yourself from a traumatic moment and being able to process it through using imagination, right? So that you're not exactly in the present that is so so traumatizing or so overwhelming. You can sort of use your imagination to either cope or later to process. And I think that's some of what Sam is doing in this chapter. And I think that's why we love fiction and Sam loves fiction. He's always using stories and, you know, like very imaginative tales to make meaning back to where we are just like we're doing with this very book. Right. And I learned a new term for that, and that is called sociological imagination. So it allows someone to make connection between the individual and society when you sort of need to make that comparison. And that's As I was reading through just a brief description of that, they mentioned using film as a way for individuals to sort of experience something and imagine, say, a moral quandary and really process Mm -hmm. it through Mm -hmm. using imagination as a way to both inform themselves, sort of understand larger community values but all through their own imagination. And so I thought, oh, well, what a lovely (laughs) tie-in. That is. What would you do in this situation? Yeah, I do that like every time I watch Mm -hmm. a TV show. Like if I was that person, I would do it like this. Right, right. And But it allows you to do it in kind of a way that I think tells you a little bit about who you are and how you would process that situation, but also allows you to think about does that align with sort of a larger community value? So one of the ones that I think is a bit more ethically ambiguous is, you know, when is it okay to kill? Is it ever okay to kill? Right. And so then if you ever experience situations in which someone is taking a life based on a set of circumstances, do you feel that they're justified or not? Hopefully none of us have been in that situation, but that imagining allows us to understand a bit more about ourselves and our community. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. It's a little bit safer to look at that through, like, the eyes of Jason Bourne than your lived experience. Than your lived experience, yes. And those are really my examples. It was not a particularly, uh, there was not a lot of imagining that happened Mm -hmm. in, in today's chapter, but there were a couple of moments and they almost exclusively came from Sam. I have one. Can I bring can I bring one? Yeah, absolutely. So, around where you where you are, it's my page 207, but it's like one of the first few pages of the chapter. It's Frodo is unable to imagine. Mm-hmm. So he says, he's talking about when he was in the the Kirith Ungol tower, quote, 
As I lay in prison, Sam, I tried to remember the Brandywine and Woody End and the water running through the hill at Hobbiton, but I can't see them now. And it's like he no longer has the ability to, it's like what we were just talking about with Sam being able to look around and remember and imagine. Frodo is so stuck in the present and consumed by the ring that he can't even remember this stream that he grew up by for his entire life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And on that bummer of a note, that is that is the only example I had. Yeah, to quote Sam, <laughs> I don't like the look of things at all. <laughs> yes. But he does tease him back a little bit. Sam goes, there now, Mr. Frodo, it's you that's talking about water this time. <laughs> Aren't we having such a good time? <laughs> Are you having fun? I'm having a really good time. All right. Well, though there was much plotting uh, mm-hmm. and trudging and general lack of merriment, there was some exceptional writing. So of course. I'm wondering, uh, shall we transition to our talking with Tolkien? Yes. Yes, please. Fabulous. What did you have or what did you find? I have two. The first one is Frodo being sassy. <laughs> Uh, when they find water and Sam's like, let me drink first, Mr. Frodo. And Frodo says, quote, all right, but there's room enough for two. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, I guess. But like, we could do it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes out that, oh, Sam's like, no, that's not what I meant. I just want to make sure it wasn't poison. But I thought that was a funny rejoinder from, from Frodo. <laughs> And then my other one is on page 211, which is Sam looking up into the sky. And it is, quote, For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. I had that one, too. (laughs) Yay! How could you not? It's so good. Mm -hmm. What quotes did you have? Well, let's see. I have page 243, which is just before uh, the page you read your quote on. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, a pretty grueling description of the landscape. Nice. Was... We love those. And really, you could pick anything from anywhere in the chapter mm-hmm. and have it be amazing. But this one in particular really kind of stood out to me. So, quote, and here things still grew harsh, twisted, bitter, struggling for life. In the glens of the Morgai, on the other side of the valley, low, scrubby trees lurked and clung. Coarse gray grass tussocks fought with the stones, and withered mosses crawled on them. And everywhere great, writhing, tangled brambles sprawled. Ugh. I love the, the description of how it's all kind of fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. These plants aren't just there placidly. They're, they're struggling, and they're pushing, and they're fully not animate but it's just it's a wonderful way to describe the the conflict of the dying land Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah it that whole that whole paragraph just i really think paints a picture of like how bleak the as far as the eye can see Mm -hmm. right and then just little sweet sam a little sweet frodo are just right there in the middle of it and it would it is uh 
it paints a picture. And that the flies also have the red eye blotch on the middle. Yes. That was jarring. I was like very thorough branding. Wow, do they does everything that grows there have the have the red eye? How do we get that? Who decided that that was gonna be there? Tell me more about the flies. And that it would seem it's intriguing to me. Like, is that just how perverse the landscape mm-hmm. is that it's producing this? Or are we saying that this entire realm is essentially built, manifested, and maintained through the power of Saruman? Like, I have... Of Sauron, mm-hmm. I should say. I have questions. Yeah, we're, we're not the right people to answer that, but... No. <laughs> Can go but it does make you think. Make you think. <laughs> we could look that one up on uh, Nerd of the Rings. Shout out to that YouTube. Yes. They go so in-depth <laughs> to the lore. <laughs> There's probably like a 20-minute video about the spawning of the flies. <laughs> All right. And then my, my other one is Sam being very Sam. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, 249. It's around the time where the two orcs sort of make their way proximate to Sam and Frodo. Sam and Frodo are hidden. They get into an argument. And then ultimately, they one ends up being killed and one runs off. And Sam's response to this is, quote, well, I call that neat as neat. (laughs) (laughs) If this nice friendliness would spread about in Mordor, half our trouble would be over. (laughs) I think that's funny. and I chuckled when I read that. So totally making fun of the, the, the orc who was like, shot him in the back, neat as neat. And then he dies. Mm-hmm. And Sam's like, what? Call that neat as neat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Got it done. Yes. You like that. Did you have any more? That's what I have. All right. Those are some good ones. Those are I'm mine. I'm surprised we could find moments of levity in Mordor. But once again, Samwise the Stout-Hearted is carrying us mm-hmm. through. Yeah, the lightheartedness was not abundant, Mm -mm. but it was present. Well, how about then we transition to your action item, the part of the podcast where you tell us uh, an item of action that we can do to strengthen our community. Absolutely. So my action item pairs, I think, with another action or another theme that we've talked about, rest. And I, my action item is this. Rest is critical to imagination. So assure that you're taking the time to rest in moments where you want to reimagine something or you want to use your imagination. Especially in adulthood, I feel like I have just like very little devoted imagination time. Mm -hmm. So rest to imagine. I like that. I've definitely used rest to imagine future scenarios and what I would do if I were in them Mm -hmm. so that I don't have to come up with the next plan of attack in the moment. I'm like, ah, yes. Thought about that one as I was falling asleep of what I would do if I was in XYZ situation. Right. So, yeah, that's what I got. Well, thank you for this conversation. I'm really excited for the next chapter. Things are speeding up, even if it kind of feels like they're slowing down. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a lot to talk about. We sure are.
Today's podcast was brought to you by a cursed peaching sneak thief and the Shriekers. Say that five times fast. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in Fellowship. Episode okay, is turn- over. <laughs> <laughs> and, and done. Completed.